This episode of Talk Hockey Radio was sponsored by Decathlon UK. You can find them on www.decathlon.co.uk. Hi and welcome to Talk Hockey Radio episode 4. If you listened to us before, thanks for listening and if you're new, thank you for joining us this time round. We hope you enjoy it. Today we have my co-host Fraser. You're right, Taff. How are you doing? You okay? I'm good man, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. How's the, how's the weather? Uh, it's pretty cold, pretty cold. <laughs> it is here as well. Uh, we've got snow down and uh, very slippery in places. But anyway, let's get on with the show. We have a new co-host, Deven from Australia. Now, Deven is a strength and conditioning coach, as well as being a hockey coach. And he's going to be joining us on our podcast today and in the future, hopefully. Uh, And he's got a pretty extensive background in strength and conditioning. And he's going to give us a little bit of information about strength and conditioning in this podcast later on so welcome Devin. hey guys how you going great to be on board great to have you on board I, i'm quite thrilled that you uh took up my uh offer of coming on the podcast and uh and sharing your expertise so first of all i think people want to know about you and and what your background is and so tell us a little bit about yourself yep sure so i guess to keep it short um I've been in the sport for 25 years uh, as a player, and this will be my 15th season as a coach. Um, so I haven't always played. I've had a few years off here and there, but the coaching has been consistent. Um, so I'm based in Sydney at the moment. I'm the head coach of Winona Girls Private School, so with their hockey program and their strength and conditioning. I was the head coach or head of performance at UTS Hockey Club in Sydney, done our rep teams over here, Northern Beaches, uh, developmental coach with Mossman Hockey Club, Redland School, um, St Andrews School, and I was lucky enough to have an assistant coaching role with the New South Wales Country Girls uh, in 2017, so that was great. And well, I started playing my, my junior hockey at a club called Ingleburn, which is based out of the Metro Southwest area. Then moved on to another club called Moorbank, where I spent most most of my hockey um, career there. Played, you know, from under 13 all the way through. And yeah, so now I'm predominantly a full time coach. Um, I've also got a a business that I've run on the strength conditioning side called Zenith Performance, and that's basically for young athletes, hockey players. Um, in other sports, of course, but 95% of my athletes are hockey players. So I cover the the skills development side of things, as well as the strength and conditioning, injury rehab, um, you know, mentoring and things like that. Um, yeah, and I guess all that started in 2012 when I tore my ACL playing basketball. That kind of put me on the journey down the strength and conditioning path, um, obviously having to rehab my own injury. Uh, I then decided that... It would be my mission in life pretty much to make sure that I reduce the risk of ACL injuries in other athletes if no one else had to go through what I went through with the, you know, for those of you out there listening um, who've had an ACL tear, you know, the uh, the mental, physical, emotional side of things 
and having to come back from that is just incredible. Like it's, it just takes so much. So yeah, my goal at the moment is to prevent one ACL tear, one athlete. That's, that's my job done. So, but that's how Zenith Performance was founded and where the love of strength conditioning and the need for, for it in hockey as well, um, you know, is is quite high right now. So that's that's the path I'm I'm on. Um, yeah, that's that's about it in a probably large cool. nutshell. Cool. So what's the uh, website then, Stephen? So the website is zenithperformance.com.au. Um, and yeah, the website just went live on Wednesday actually. So still finishing up the final touches, but a lot of my work um, is on Instagram. Um, so it's zenithpt underscore on instagram or zenith performance if you search that up um yeah a lot of the, a lot of the works on there cool sounds really good i mean i've, I've obviously had a look at your uh, instagram and it's got a lot of uh, good stuff on there so congratulations on the website by the way uh oh, it's always a struggle getting their website together getting it getting it right and everything like that you you should you would not know how much difficulty we've had or i've had with the hockey family yeah i just used anyway, it in the past and it might have just been sitting there for about a year and i haven't done anything with it so good on that one anyway brilliant okay so let's get on to our first little segment so fraser what we've got in the news for this month yeah, so obviously there's a, a big announcement just recently come out by the FIH, which is that they've got a new kit supplier. So they're now right. working with Osaka to make all of their team wear for umpires and play, people like that. All right. So that moved on from Adidas, who's had it for as long as I can remember, to be honest. So that's for all the officials, right? Yeah, so this is all the FIH representatives at competition. So umpires oh, right, of the okay. Pro League, you'll notice, are all in Osaka branded kit. Uh, I think all the pitch side helpers, so ball boys, ball girls, are all going to be in Osaka kit going forward. So this is a, a huge step for Osaka. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, taking taking the mantle off uh, Adidas is a big deal, I reckon. I wonder how that came about. Well, you know, <laughs> probably gave them a better deal, really. <laughs> Go on, I, I'm going to put it down to gambling on the men's World Cup. All right. Osaka, Osaka, and Adidas had a deal, you know. We'll pick whoever wins the World Cup. Yeah. Belgium win the World Cup. Osaka, the Belgian brand, becomes the FIH kit supplier. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Inside a deal, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Well, congratulations to Osaka, actually. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I think they're a good make. Um, so let's see what happens with that and how long that uh, lasts. Hopefully as long as it did with uh, Adidas. So this can't be the only big news. Have we got any others? Well, obviously there's the the news about Pakistan with the oh, yeah. Pro League. That was shocking. Oh, was it yeah. shocking, though? I don't know. A lot of people thought, well, some people thought it might happen, but I was a bit optimistic about that. They basically came out and um, declared that they couldn't fulfil their first three fixtures to the uh, FIH. And after hearing that, the FIH suspended them from the Pro League and also gave them a, a ban from international hockey for two years. What do you think about that? Is that a bit drastic? I don't know. The Pro League stuff, I definitely think makes sense because you can't yeah. say, oh, well, you we can't play the first three games, but we'll play the rest. It's fine because that wouldn't yeah. be fair on the other team. So I get that. But the whole ban from all international competition, that, that seemed heavy handed to me. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, there's got to be some repercussions, isn't there, really? Yeah. Well, I suppose the repercussion would have been the suspension from, from the uh, the Pro League. But then adding on to a two-year ban as well, that means that 
is their Olympic qualifying campaign in jeopardy? I mean, you have to think it is. Well, yeah, I suppose. Can they even qualify? I don't think so because they have to be they have to be playing certain tournaments, don't they, to qualify for the Olympics? Yeah, I and I thought the Pro League was the way that yeah. they were going to try and get in. Yeah. So if they're now suspended from the Pro League, is their place going to be up for grabs next season? Probably. Now I wonder who that's going to be. Because if they're banned for two years, that means they can't compete next year. Surely the FIH is going to want to fill that slot with someone else. So does that mean that there's another place up for grabs? Well, wasn't uh, India going to come into this anyway? Was it next year or was it further down the line? I can't remember. So it could be an opportunity for maybe India to come into it. And to be honest with you, from what I heard, there isn't much Indian hockey going on in the next year so could they take the mantle even this year i mean possibly that's up to the fih as to whether they can but we've already got it all up in time yeah but we've already played i think we've already played a couple of uh, men's games aren't we anyway anyway uh would they due to play them this month or whatever or was or were their campaign starting next month or this you know this month uh, in february i thought they were due to be starting in february yeah so there could be some they could still be i don't know but if you remember when the Pro League was announced, there was not outrage, but some reaction to the fact that originally Pakistan weren't going to play in Pakistan. They were going to play in Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then they, they decided not to play there because the costing was too much. And I think they got a, a deal with Lee Valley. I'm not sure. I could be wrong there. Uh, and then I think, well, obviously now it's, it's just gone. But, I think this is a knock-on effect on what I'm going to basically talk to you about now, which is the actual uh, audit investigation by uh, the government on the Pakistan Hockey Federation, which are auditing them for their uh, 500 million uh, Pakistani rupees. I mean, I've seen on social media and some articles that I've read on, on the internet that they was given this 500 million uh, rupees over a five-year period. And they expected Pakistan Hockey Federation to build a stadium as well with that money or with that injection of cash. Now, if you think about the the, the conversion rates of the rupees, it's not a lot, you know. 500 million sounds a lot. To me, it is a lot of money. In Pakistan, it probably is a lot of money. But in real terms, in, in let's say, you know, pounds and, and dollars, it is only 2.7 million pounds and $3.5 million over a five-year period, right? Yeah. That kind of works out at 500k pounds and 720k dollars. Now, that is 500,000 pounds. So let's just work in pounds. 500,000 pounds per year for the whole of the hockey program. That includes seniors. That includes juniors, you know, under 21s, under 18s, whatever. Okay, that most probably includes the women. And their uh, their program. So if you think about 500k per year, it doesn't sound like a lot to me. And with that money, they wanted the uh, Hockey Federation to actually build a stadium as well. Do you know how much a stadium costs? I don't off the top of my head, I'm afraid. I haven't built one in a while. (laughs) Uh, Neither have I, but I looked into this. (laughs) A stadium costs anything around 25 million to 30 million pounds. Now, if if we go... Even four years ago or five years ago when Lee Valley was being built. That's the Lee Valley Tennis and Hockey Centre in London on the Olympic Park. Now that 
stadium, guess how much that cost? Oh, uh, 25 million? Close. Close. 30 million. That was four years, five years ago. So yeah. 2.7 million would not have made any difference to building a hockey stadium in Pakistan at all. Now, if that 500 million is dollars, then yeah, maybe that's a lot of money. Okay, but I don't think it was. I think I'm pretty sure it was 500 million rupees. So if you look at it that way, there's no way they would have actually made a um, a stadium. There was no way that even breaking ground would have would have given you know 2.7 million. They could probably made a uh, a pitch somewhere, but ne- never um, a stadium. Just relaying a pitch in the UK, I know can cost up to half a million if you want a real top quality pitch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you um, think putting down a new pitch after you've found a plot of land, even if you would take out the cost of buying the land, whatever, mm-hmm. it's going to be more than half a million to set up yeah. the pitch. Yeah, and then absolutely. They're wanting to build a stadium around it. Like like I said, if if it's anything, if they wanted anything like Lee Valley, which is a great um, um, stadium, uh, to be honest with you, um, they were looking at about thirty million. They've probably done it within twenty five million, but that was five years ago. Remember, so costing might have gone up for uh, you know uh, raw materials and things like that. So let's see, let's see, you know what happens with regards to this audit investigation and um, see what uh, you know, see what. The outcome is, but there's also an investigation with uh, Shabazz Ahmed, who was the secretary um, of uh, the Pakistan Hockey Federation. Um, so they're looking into his, you know, uh, distribution of funds or whatever as well. But to be honest with you, I don't think they'll find anything bad. And if they do, then I, I don't know. I don't understand, you know, what um, what they can find. To be honest with you, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, agree. Either, I hope either, they don't find anything bad. No, no. either pocketing the but, money or whatever, but five hundred thousand, five hundred thousand pounds is not a lot of money for, for you know, playing games. And in and in that period, they were saying something like Pakistan had actually uh, played about twenty-seven games or something like that, set twenty-seven tournaments. Now, if you think about just going visiting a tournament overseas, you've got the cost of hotels, you've got the cost of flights for your entourage, you know, you know, your your players, which could be about twenty odd. You got your, uh, you know, your staff, which could be, you know, four or five, or even more. Let's say even twenty five people. A flat, a cost of a flight, you know, yeah. from Pakistan to wherever. Let's say even if it's Australia, you know, you're looking at, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, about seven hundred pounds per person, maybe even more, and that's just a conservative guess. Uh, to Australia to play a tournament. Yeah. That's I mean, you've got to think most of these elite squads now, they're going to be travelling with 35 people, maybe a, a 20, 21-man squad. Yeah. Coaches, assistant coaches. I mean, a, a lot of them take nutritionists along now. Yeah. Strength and conditioning coaches. Yeah. So it's it's going to quickly get expensive just going somewhere for a tournament. Yeah. Let alone taking into account things like juniors, women's, um, any other expenses that they are going yeah. to have 
throughout the rest of the year, even if it, you know, getting everyone to a central pitch for a squad training session. Yeah. If they're covering, but, covering travel, people yeah. getting trains or whatever from different areas or to meet up in one place. Yeah. I think this 500 million rupees also accounted for uh, player wages as well. If you put all that into consideration, I don't think it's a lot, but let's let's see what happens. There's not been much news out of Pakistan Hockey Federation or even uh, the Pakistan, Pakistan government about what's actually happening now, but who, who knows? The audit might take a few months to be completed, possibly. But I'm, I'm pretty sad. It's, it's a big loss. I, I honestly I think it's a big loss I'm all for like you know it, it doesn't do a lot for uh, Asian hockey as a whole no um, you know with with India not taking part in the pro league anyway initially and then Pakistan being thrown out of the pro league rightly so I'm not defending Pakistan at all but if you can't fulfill it then you basically sort of like say don't you you basically turn around and say look we don't have the funds the government hasn't given it us or whatever. They did. I think the Pakistan Hockey Federation did actually request funding from the government, but they were refused the funding, and that's basically why they couldn't fulfil the pro league campaign that they were they wanted to do. So a bit sad. You know that is sad. Um, but if you remember a year ago, two years ago now, um, the Scottish hockey team ran out of funding for getting to the World League semi-final that was down in London. Yes, I remember that. And the government couldn't scrape together the funds for them, so they set up a Kickstarter campaign. Mm. I haven't heard of Pakistan trying anything like that, so I don't know if they were specifically told not to, but Mm. there are other ventures that they can take to try and fund it. But I agree, and at that time, when uh, about the Scottish guys uh, trying to do a fund me as well, or successfully doing a fund me because they got there, didn't they? I don't understand with this, with the you know national governing bodies, why they they don't have the funding from you know the national lottery sports funding or whatever, or even the government getting the funding for them. You know, how much would it have cost? Could the government not have stepped in? I know they didn't step in for uh, Pakistan, but I'm talking about the Scottish here. The government could have stepped in. Let's look about the budget that the, that the UK government has. It's, it runs in the trillions. Yeah, it does, but they meter out whatever funding they're going to give to the different sports, the different governing bodies, and that's supposed to last a year. In the case with Scotland, with the Black the Blue Sticks campaign, they had budgeted for them to get promoted, I think it was mm. two times. Yeah, for both the men and women's, and both of them, I think, got three promotions on the bounce. Mm. So they'd already exceeded what they'd budgeted for, and it was a case of they couldn't get any more money in in time to to cover it. Mm. Now I don't I don't know if um, the lottery funding or Sport England, whoever it is who's in charge of the uh, giant pot of money, have any you know special requirement funding available or if it's they get a lump sum at the start of the year Mm. they meter it out to all the different people and then they've not got anything for 12 months i can't say i know intrinsically how it works no i I don't know how it works either but surely there's there's got to be some emergency funds out there somewhere put the hand in and sort like say okay we've got some emergency funding you can help that it wouldn't have costed that much really for them to actually get to to you know london i don't know i think Maybe funding needs to be looked at even more because our our sports 
not just our sport, all sports are basically getting more and more expensive. Uh, the cost is always always going up, and I don't think the funding goes up retrospectively, and it should. Yeah, it definitely should. But let's see what happens. Well, I mean, we get, um, keep an eye on the developments of Pakistan hockey at the moment. Um, and there's not, like I said, it's gone all quiet for the last week or so uh, after the initial uh, announcement of the uh, audit investigation. But the thing is, they haven't just invest. They're not just investigating Pakistan hockey. They're actually investigating basketball, volleyball, and other, you know, minor sports as well. So let's see what happens with them as well. So that was a bit of a downer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let, okay. Let's so, pick things up and talk yeah, about the pro league. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Well, so have you been able to watch any of the pro league stuff? Uh, not much, not much, unfortunately. I did try and catch up on a, on a couple of games today. I think I watched Argentina women today. Uh, only a little bit of it. I didn't get to watch all of it, but it looked like a good game. But let's actually go through the previous games then, anyway. So the first, well, you know, the first game was a men's game, um, which was. Quite a thriller, to be honest with you. I, I thought so anyway, because I, I watched I watched that. Uh, it was against Spain and uh, Belgium in Valencia. Um, and I was quite surprised about this result, which was obviously 2-2. Um, but then Spain beating Belgium in, in a shootout. Did you get to watch this? So I've watched a lot of this game. Right. Um, I wish I'd watched all of it. But unfortunately, yeah. there was some issue with the uh, recording that I did. So I actually missed the final 10 minutes of the game and the shootout. Oh, no. <laughs> so that, that was real upsetting. So from what I saw, Belgium took an early lead. It looked very dominant, and then Spain started to get back into it. What I've then heard is that Spain pulled their goalkeeper mm-hmm. for the last five minutes or so, yeah. forced an, act, an extra time penalty corner that they then converted to take it into the penalty shootout. Yeah. Basically, I watched the end of it. I watched a little bit of the end of it. And, it, oh God, it was it was really close. Um, because I think it was... I think they scored that equaliser within less, less than a minute to go or less than 30 seconds to go or something like that um, of that game to equalise it. And that was from their corner. So Spain As I say, got- I heard the second Spain goal was an extra time penalty corner. So after the final whistle, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think so. I thought it was actually a, a counter-strike and then they had they had a counter-strike and then they got the, the short corner, which actually ended the game. And then they scored from that, I think. I could be wrong. Or am I mixing things up here? Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Let me know, guys, if I'm mixing things up here. <laughs> so so I've probably watched a, a couple of games. Yeah. The time of the final goal was 60 minutes. That doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's just say end of play, penalty corner, goal. But then, you know, Spain actually beating Belgium 2-0 on, on the uh, penalty shootout. Quite surprising because I thought Belgium would have actually got it. But I, I also heard that they didn't have many of the World Cup winning side players there. They had a couple of new players in, in that. Not that they were all gone. I'm not sure what you heard. So just having a look through, there is definitely a few names missing that you'd expect to see. Yeah. But there is still quite a few strong players. 
Yeah. So I'd, I would have thought there would be enough players in there who I would expect to be taking one of the shuttles yeah. to uh, take the win. But mm-hmm. fair play to Spain. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I did say during the World Cup that they were a very tough side mm. and they will scrap and battle right to the last minute. Definitely, definitely. Well, that was an exciting game. But the next one, oh my God. <laughs> it was Great Britain against Spain. Another amazing battle there i saw a bit of this i didn't see all of it again oh i uh, watched all of this one did you did you okay I, so go i watched on, all all the build-up i watched all the halftime analysis all the post-game stuff right go on tell, tell us about it because i because i watched a bit of it like i said i didn't watch it all uh and and then i heard things after, so you know spain came out of the blocks lightning fast yeah so they were pressing GB right from the fu- the first whistle. So I think it was within three minutes, it was already 1-1. So Spain, I think, scored within the first minute. Yeah. England equalised within three. Yeah. Spain then went 2-1 up and 3-1 up and 4-1 up, all within the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard as well. Spain were putting a lot of high pressure on to GB, so they were playing a three-quarter press. And so they were getting GB to turn the ball over a lot just outside their own 25-yard, 23-metre, however you want to refer to it. In contrast, England had started off playing a half-court press, and so they were allowing Spain to have a lot of possession of the ball in their own half. And then as we went into the second quarter, England continued and stuck to the half-court press from what I could see. They managed to get a penalty corner and get to 4-2, which was the score at the half-time. But in that second quarter, Spain continued their three-quarter press, forcing GB to turn the ball over in their own defensive area. Now, in the second half, GB then changed how they were pressing. They seemed to step it up and go to a three-quarter press as well, and were turning the ball over higher up the pitch to Spain. They got their third goal and their fourth goal to equalise before the end of the third quarter. Yeah. The fifth goal from Roper was right at the start, of the final quarter and it was a fantastic solo run beat a few spanish defenders got towards the d the spanish players seemed to back off and give him a little space and he ran into top d and just smashed the ball into the bottom corner i think i think i saw that on the, in the highlights that was yeah it was a great goal that definitely um and then gb sixth goal uh they had a, a very good attack i believe it was sam ward who had the initial shot that got saved off the line and Condon picked the rebound out of the air, just smashed it into the goal. Yeah, it was a fantastic pick. Yeah. I felt a little bit bad because Sam Ward's shot was great. Yeah, but, and then Spain again pulled their goalkeeper, went down the other end, attacking with eleven outfield players, putting on pressure and it building, eventually turning it into a penalty corner, which they converted. And then to, continuing with their eleven outfield players, they actually won a chain of penalty corners at the end. I think it was three. But I might have that written down wrong, which ended with an excellent volleyed clearance by the GB goalkeeper. But I think it was Pinner who played the second half. GB looked a lot more steady with him on the pitch. Yeah. I don't know if he talks more or if it was just that they felt more confident playing the higher press. But they seemed a lot more composed on the ball and in defence in the second half. But well, it, was, it was a great game to watch. I still, I still need to catch up on that. I've got it on my DVR anyway, so... Hopefully, I'll get a chance to watch it uh, as well. So, yeah, great 4-1 down, coming back to win 6-5. Yeah. 
that is just amazing. That's an amazing comeback. Amazing comeback for any team, let alone it being GB. But, you know, obviously Danny Kerry's doing uh, some great work there with the boys, and long may it continue. Yeah. So, God, the next game was, uh, or the next two games were played on the Saturday 26th uh, yes. of Jan, uh, and both of them were Argentina and Belgium men and women. Uh, did you get to see this one? Uh, I only know the scores on this one. Again, like I said, I've not been able to see much of the uh, action for the Pro League uh, recently. I have seen the highlights. Okay. But I don't know how accurate a story they tell. It It did seem to be just the goals from the ones no. that I saw. Right. Well, um, I mean, the, the Argentina uh, women beat Belgian women 2-0. Uh, I'm presuming it was... A, a, a decent enough game but who knows um, and then Argentina lost to the Belgian men 4-2 Again. one thing I will say about the Argentina Belgian men's game is I know that the commentators kept saying every time that Argentina won a penalty corner that they didn't have pay at and they were making a real big deal of that and I found it really annoying if Argentina have decided that they don't want to take pay at to the game that's their decision Mm, yeah, I don't. I didn't like that it was sort of making excuses for why Argentina weren't winning. Is how it felt. It was saying, you know, oh, without pay, it's uh, it's not much worth watching. It was still a good game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Argentina would prefer that they'd won the game. Yeah, but it just well, it really ground, really got on my nerves. <laughs> well, we don't. We didn't see the game, but I know someone who did. And she's not, unfortunately, she's not with us on this podcast at the moment um, because she couldn't couldn't make it. But Melina basically watched the game and she has actually sent us a recording of her analysis of both the men and women's games. So we'll take a listen to that. Hi team, is Melina here? Here's my analysis of the Argentinian Pro League games uh, for women and men in a very rainy day here in Argentina. Uh, the Pro League started for Argentina last Saturday and if we talk about the women, Las Leonas, started off with the right foot. They defeated Belgium 2-0 with a new squad and a new coach. Uh, we talked about that in the last uh, podcast. It, it is uh, Carlos Retegui. Among the new players, we can name four, like Micaela Retegui, the coach's daughter, Selena Di Santo and Victoria Miranda, both of them winners of the gold medal at the Young Olympic Games in Buenos Aires last October, and also Cristina Cosentino. Former captain Carlo Vecchio also returned. We have to remember she took a break from the national team to have her baby more than a year ago. And then we have midfielder Rosario Lucchetti and the experienced defender Silvina Delia. If we talk a little bit more about Rebecca, she showed her skills again during the match. And let's remember it was her who went to the baseline and connected with Julieta Hancunas to put the 1-0. If we talk a little bit about Belgium, the European silver medalist didn't park the trailer. They attacked Argentina and kept their defense tight and well organized, while they seemed to feel more comfortable in the attack in the second quarter of the game. They also had two penalty corners, five overall in the match. In that quarter, but Suchi responded well and denied their chances. Argentina had three penalty corners and they scored 
one goal through that Villa. I don't know if you noticed, but Argentina went to play that game without their usual shooters. Noel Barrionuevo chose to step aside from the national team for now, as well as Agustina Gorzolani, who was a project in the making for that important play. Julia Gomez Fantasia was another of the shooters, but the coach didn't call her. So Silvina Delia is taking the job since she was a she has sorry a very powerful double hand hit and she was chosen as a variation in the penalty corner in his previous years in her previous years in the national team. Uh, we will have to wait and see who the coach is going to use for the corners. Um, let's remember that Carla Rebecca was one of the shooters before and also her husband former player Jorge Lombi is a specialist in that area. Um, well, Belgium had some more chances to score in the last quarter but couldn't find the final touch and also it was a very humid and um, very hot day there in Córdoba it was like 89 Fahrenheit so that played its part too I personally think the addition of three very experienced players added life to Las Leones' squad we could see Silvina Dalia using her powerful hand hit to get the ball out of difficult situations Rosario Lucchetti had a very good match too, helping Lucina von der Heide in the midfield, and Carlo Rovecchi was chosen player of the match, and she looked very alive there in the attack. Las Leonas showed a better corner too, since they scored one of the three they had, that's 30% of efficiency, which is a very percentage that in the previous games. Well, what's next for the Belgians? Well, they faced New Zealand, a few hours ago, I got their first victory, winning 1-0, and their next match is against Australia. In the case of Las Leonas, well, they will play their Pan American rivals, USA, in a few hours. And if we talk about the men, Argentina was missing Gonzalo Peilat, who talked to the coach and decided to take a break from the national team, but he didn't quit. It was a debut for Argentina, but Belgium already started the Pro League against Spain, drawing 2-2 and then losing in the shootouts. Well, against Argentina, Boone pulled the Belgians up early in the match, only after uh, 2 minutes 20 seconds from the opening whistle. We can only marvel at the skills shown by that man. Boone had just one touch while he was spinning and put the ball in the back of the net. The equalizer came through Lucas Villa in the second quarter with a deflection inside the circle after the video umpire confirmed because his touch was at the edge of the area so it created some confusion. Both teams uh, defended pretty well so much so that the, the first penalty corners for each team came in the third quarter and the Jones took advantage in the quarter attack after Argentina's penalty. There were four uh, attackers against two defenders. So Juan Manuel Vivaldi blocked the first shot but couldn't block the second and Belgium was up again. After that the third goal for Belgium, for Belgium came and man of the match Victor Venus broke Argentina's defense lines and later Maxime Pointeval scored. Uh, well in the fourth quarter Tom Boone scored again uh, Lucas Martinez scored a comeback goal from Argentina. So the final score was 4-2. And we have to say, well, Belgium was a better team the entire match. But Argentina didn't, didn't do that bad. 
They messed up in the third quarter when they got two yellow cards. So they were down to ten men almost the entire quarter. And it was in it was then when they received the two goals that put the match out of their hands. I mean, if you're playing against the world champions, that is not a luxury you can afford. Belgium also played New Zealand a few hours ago and tied 4-4 and a very thrilling match. But the world champions win the shootouts 4-2. Uh, we have to remember that if the game finishes uh, tied, shootouts decide who wins. So we will always have a winner in this pro league. In the case of Argentina, next game for the men, as it is for the women, is against USA. Sorry I couldn't join you on this episode, but I hope you liked my analysis of the Argentinian games. I'll hopefully join you on the next episode. Until then, bye for now. And welcome back. Um, that was quite a good analysis by Emilina there. So the next game played on Sunday on the 27th on that weekend, uh, which was New Zealand, again, a double header, New Zealand and uh, Netherlands. Both men and women played each other. Uh, New Zealand uh, losing out to the Netherlands men uh, 3-4. And, oh, they, they, they lost out in, uh, in the women's as well, 1-0. So I'm presuming that was quite a good uh, game to sort of like uh, watch as well. And that was played in um, Auckland. Uh, did you get to then see watch any of that one? I haven't seen either of those. Those are both on my uh, DVR to watch. Unfortunately, I've just not had a, a chance this week. The next one uh, was played this Friday. Um, again, a double header. I, I like these double headers. You know, for uh, one day double headers, it, it probably draws in a lot of the crowd. Really, not so. Key. I don't know whether they could have actually done this uh, for all the games that the Pro League have been played at for home the game, uh, home and away matches. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how, how the logistics would that I would work. I think there. they have tried wherever possible. Yeah, yeah. Where both men's and women's teams can travel together and they have a, yeah. a double header game. Yeah. It, In it some cases, like... they've got like a Friday night, Saturday morning, or Saturday afternoon set up rather yeah. than two games on one day. But. Well, it looks like they have they have tried in, in a lot of cases anyway. But yeah, I, I really do like it. it. It probably draws in a lot more crowds when you're watching two games rather than one game. Um, but yeah, sorry. Uh, the, this last game was uh, February Friday, the first February. Uh, New Zealand and Belgium double header again. Women and men. Women lost out to uh, sorry. New Zealand women lost out to Belgium women one nil. I saw a bit of this game, and it looked like it was quite a hard fought battle. Belgium scoring pretty early on, from what I remember, and New Zealand trying to come back. Uh, it, it it was, from what I saw, didn't watch all of it, it was quite end-to-end. Shame about New Zealand not sort of like uh, getting an equaliser or even winning or whatever, but I think they were, they were probably outplayed by Belgium. The next game was a little bit closer. <laughs> Ended up uh, yeah. for all uh, New Zealand-Belgium men uh, for all, and then going into shootouts, with Belgium winning uh, 2-4. Again, I didn't get to see this one. What about yourself? Did you get to see it? Uh, I've seen bits of this one. From what I remember, Belgium were about, I think it was 4-2, and then New Zealand got two goals very quickly. Um, I think it was sort of 10 minutes from the end-ish. Wow. Um, And it was sort of a minute or so apart, the, the two final goals to get back to equal. Yeah. So it was a, a real edge of your seat last ten minutes of the game. Oh wow. 
Well, not bad then, really. (laughs) What you have to take in is, well, just from not having seen all the games, but a lot of them, the games are close. It's not someone's getting battered. One goal in it, two goals in it. Yeah, absolutely. Teams are coming back in the last five minutes of a game to equalise. I I think the competition is brilliant. Uh, You know, like you're saying, there's only one or two goals uh, difference in it, and teams are not giving up. They are they are battling a couple high scoring games, but you know, not that many. But even in the high scoring games, GB won by one. The biggest, yeah, yeah, the biggest defeat is a margin of two goals. Yeah, absolutely. so, you know, there are some goal fests going on uh, in some of the games, which is great for hockey <laughs> and for, for people viewing it. I don't think there's been a bigger comeback than the, the than the GB game, but we might see a little bit more of that in future games uh, with other teams. Who knows? There were some games played today as well, as we're recording on, on the 2nd of February, which were, again, another double header and one single header. We had Australia playing against uh, the Netherlands men and women. Um, the men was quite interesting. Five ball, then going to shoot out with Netherlands winning 1-4. I didn't get to see this because I've been out all day. Sorry about that, guys. Um, and obviously I didn't get to see the other two games either. We had we had Australia and Netherlands again, women playing. Australia just beating Netherlands 1-0. And that is quite surprising to me anyway. I would have thought Netherlands... Would have beaten Australia women, considering their I mean, uh, the Netherlands team and stuff. Women have been on a, a real tear. I mean, mm. if you look at their results going back, they've not lost many since Rio. Even um, I think it was only the final at Rio that they lost. So this is possibly only their second or third loss since 2016. So this oh. is a, a huge result for Australia. Yeah. Well, the next game. As we as we were recording this, so obviously we didn't get to watch it, guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> Argentina played the United States, ended up being a two-two draw with Argentina winning three-one in the shootouts, and we didn't get to watch this, but Melina did or has done, and here is her analysis of the Argentina United States game. So here's my analysis of. Argentina against USA. Um, it was the debut in the Pro League for the US while Argentina played the second match of the competition. USA had many youngsters in their squad since some key players retired after the World Cup, like former captain Melissa Gonzalez. Las Leonas attacked from minute one but received two unexpected goals. One of them came through 17-years-old Mackenzie Alessi. The goal came right after a short corner awarded to Argentina, and although the defense made it to the other end in time, they couldn't have stepped on their defense positions, and so Alessi had not just one, but two shots at Belenzuch's goal. And she remained calm and collected to drag that ball under Suchi's body and put it in the back of the net. So, at the end of the first quarter, We had a dynamic match, a better climate conditions than last Saturday, and two teams generating goal opportunities. In the second quarter, USA scored their second goal of the match, after a great play where the left winger Jill Funk broke Argentina's defense and sent the ball across the face of goal. Lauren Moyer came running at top speed 
and connected with that ball and centered, centered inside Suchi's goal. But Las Leonas kept searching for that elusive goal. Captain Delfina Marina and Maria Jose Granato were creating more chances and playing a better hockey than the one they showed in their first match against Belgium. Carla Rubecki was the best player for Argentina since minute one and kept bringing danger to USA area. The third quarter brought a lot of goal opportunities for Argentina, but they just couldn't find a final touch. Nonetheless, Robecki broke the deadlock for Las Leonas at the beginning of the fourth quarter. She pressed and stole the ball near the D, then eluded the goalkeeper Robles and scored from a tight angle. The equalizer came through a short corner. Again, Robecki was the shooter, and there is still the doubt that Tofuna Marino divert that ball or, diverted that ball or not, but Carla's low flick leveled the game. It's just amazing level of hockey she's playing at 34 years old, and also after having a baby. The game went to shootouts, and Delfina Marino, Silvina Delia, and Lucina von der Heide scored, while Blaine Succi denied Nicole Woods to put an end to the shootouts and give Las Leonas the bonus point. It was an exciting battle, where Argentina dominated the game almost the entire four quarters and USA made the most out of their chances. Carla Rubecki was chosen player of the match again and I'm gonna say that she was the kind of player Las Leonas so desperately needed. Carla embodies perfectly the essence of what being a Leona means. Her grit, determination, the never say die attitude and skills are out of this world and those qualities make her a unique player. And the fact that the younger players can see their experienced teammates show this kind of determination in the game surely will make them better players as well. So what's next for Las Leonas? Well, on February 22nd, they will face Germany in Buenos Aires, and two days later, they will clash with the Netherlands. And the men also will play Germany and the Netherlands in those days as well. Bye for now. Thanks for that, Melina. Really appreciate you taking your time out and giving us an analysis of that USA and Argentina game. So, guys, that is it. That's it for the Pro League, um, you know, rundown, because the next game is tomorrow, um, which is going to be uh, Australia and Belgium doubleheader, men and women. Then the next game is on February the 8th, a doubleheader, GB and New Zealand, which is the Friday. And then on the Saturday, it's Australia and China. And on that Sunday, um, it is Australia and Germany on a doubleheader. Then we have Friday 15th, which is New Zealand, Germany on a doubleheader. And Spain and Netherlands playing in the men's. Saturday 16th, February, sees Australia and Great Britain doubleheader in Perth and also, the United States and Netherlands women playing on the same weekend. Sunday the 17th sees New Zealand and China playing. Women, that is. The next one is Friday the 22nd, doubleheader with Argentina and Germany. Saturday the 23rd, which will be China and Great Britain women. 24th is Argentina and Netherlands doubleheader. And that is it for February's uh, Pro League games. So if you get a chance to watch them, watch them if you can. I'm sure in our next podcast we will be watching more of the games. Is that right, Fraser? Yeah? Yeah. 
<laughs> you know what I was just thinking though, as you were reading out the list of all the February's games. Yeah. FIH need to make a highlight show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm gonna in gonna try my very best to watch as many of the games as I can, but yeah. there are certain games where I just I won't have time to watch them all and some I'll have to miss or watch the highlights that I can find online and sometimes the highlights are terrible. <laughs> have they have they not got a highlight show called Inside the D, which they will be doing something like that? And if they're not, they should be for sure. They definitely should be having a highlight show. Yeah, even, um, even if it's a even if it's a monthly magazine sort of thing, you know, saying what's happened in in the last month and what's what's about to happen in 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 the following month, they should do that. And, yeah. and if you're listening, FIH, get on it. You've you've got the resources, you've got the people to do it. I'm sure Sam Quet wouldn't be too disappointed in, in coming on board and doing that. <laughs> or even Simon Mason as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll put Taff forward as well. He can be on it. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably talk too much, you know, like I always do. Instead of it being like a 20-minute show, it'll be two hours and 20 minutes or something. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I think definitely, like you're saying, definitely do a highlight show if we can. Okay, so, <clears throat> right, so... We've talked about the Pro League. We've talked about Osaka's deal and everything like that. I'm going to just talk about if it's all right with you guys. I'm just going to talk about the um, Jaffa Super Sixes that happened over last weekend in England, which takes place every uh, last weekend of January. And did you get, get to watch any of this, uh, Fraser? I did manage to watch the finals on the Sunday. Okay. But unfortunately, I don't know if it's done on purpose, but every single year the Super Sixes falls on a weekend where I'm away coaching a team. <laughs> so I've not been able to get down to them. Yeah. But I really want to because it looks like such a laugh. It, it is. I, I was there uh, and, and sort of like volunteering my time uh, working for England Hockey. And I've been doing that for many, many years now. And I was there. It was, it, it's always great the atmosphere since we moved to the cop, uh, copper box, the atmosphere in 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 the stadium is absolutely amazing because it's a little bit you know, like more compact. The crowd can be really close up to the actual pitch. Uh, honestly, if you haven't been to the copper box to watch a hockey game, get yourself down there next year for the finals of the Super Sixes. Okay, it is just an amazing venue, and it is. An amazing atmosphere when you go there and, and watching. Anyway, so I'll give you a rundown of the teams that are playing at the Jaffa Super Sixes this year. So in the women, it was Bowden Hightown who won it uh, in previous years. We had Buckingham who basically uh, came into this competition uh, for the first time uh, ever. So brilliant for them. East Grinstead who've been in this competition uh, quite a few times. And we had Slough uh, women as well. Uh, for the men, it was uh, Hampstead and Westminster, Surbiton, East Grinstead and Sevenoaks. Most of them have been in the competition in the past as well. Um, we've got to do a special mention to Buckingham, ladies. Well done. I know, basically, it was a bit of a struggle in the finals for you guys, but, you know, it was your first time in there. A uh, little bit of inexperience going on. And I think for a young side that they are, they, they've got lots more development to do and hopefully they'll be back next year and fighting for the title again. So yeah, there absolutely. you go. Now, with that said, 
I know we haven't talked about the uh, the action, but there is one guy out there who has done a really good highlights for the action at the Jaffa Super Sixes, and that's Ross Bone from the Top of the D, who did a special podcast just covering the action of the Jaffa Super Sixes, with lots of highlights from each and every game, and also pitch side interviews with some of the players. So if you want to get a fix of all the action at the Jaffa Super Sixes, head over to his website, which is www.thetopofthed.com. Hi Ross, hope you're listening to this one as well. I know I listen to yours. <laughs> have you ever listened to um, Ross's uh, podcast anyway, Fraser? I have. I've listened to a few of them. I do. It, I do like them. Yeah, they are quite good, and he and he's and he's a great he's a great writer, a uh, great guy as well. So that's why I'm plugging him. And plus, to be honest with you, we're part of the hockey family, so I don't really mind if you're going to go over and listen to another podcast who's which has got more information than we can provide for you uh, or we can talk about. Any other news, Fraser? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so the next segment on the show is the Hockey Talk. We're going to ask uh, Devon to basically talk about his strength and conditioning, uh, do's and don'ts, the best practices, uh, what to do and how to prevent injuries and things like that. So I'm just going to hand over to Devon. So I guess we'll get started with touching on the fact that there is a huge lack of strength culture in the sport. Um, I don't know if you guys agree. I think you're both coaches, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. we, I do a little bit, uh, not too much. Um, I, you know, I I don't see myself as a strength and conditioning coach, but I'd like to learn, you know, lots yeah. of different things. Um, I'm not sure about Fraser. What about yourself, Fraser? I certainly tell people I'm a coach. <laughs> <laughs> but you're all players as well. I know with myself growing up, it was okay. How do I get fit for hockey? Go and run five kilometers. You know, go and run some shuttle sprints. Um, running five kilometers is great. However, it's only going to get you good at running five kilometers in a straight line, up and down some hill, through some grasses. You know, it's good to have that base. I, I like to tell my athletes: um, if you enjoy running and you love it, go for a run, but don't necessarily include it as a large part of your physical preparation for the sport. You know, there's a lot more things that we can be doing that are more effective. Um, I guess the most basic form of strength that we can add to ourselves um, if we wanted to add in the running component would be hill sprints. Um, as I said, all my, all my athletes, you know, if you want to do one thing and you want to add in the running components, well, the strength component is it's sprint up a hill, you know, but um, you know, that in itself has some bad practices. Sometimes you get a lot of people or um, some parents dragging their kids down to the park and they're all right, up the hill every 30 seconds. There's not enough time for them to recover and to put in 100% into the sprint. That then leads to poor mechanics. Um, you know, you've got the player trying to drag themselves up the hill um, through their using their ankles, their knees, their hips, their lower back, rather than being up tall, driving through the muscles, you know, the quads, glutes, the hamstrings. Um, so, yeah, even when it comes to things like hill sprints, uh, I'd recommend one sprint every one to one and a half minutes so that you're actually able to produce the maximum power needed to get up the hill. And, you know, you, you can do 10 to 15 sprints. If you want to hold a plank in between, that's great, but just not repetitively sprinting up the hill. That's that's gonna that's just going to overload the knees and other things um, that you might have that are tight or 
not moving properly and it's going to do you more harm than good. So yeah, that would be the basic way to develop strength and power without any raw equipment. Um, what have you guys done in the past with your teams? Just so you know, we can, uh, we can look into that. See if there's things we can add with you guys and. Um, well, shall I start me personally? <laughs> um, only just, uh, just the regular things, you know, the, the warm-ups that we do. Uh, I don't think I've ever done any hill hill sprints or anything like that with any of my uh, teams. We don't have many hills where I usually coach anyway, <laughs> um, although probably can find some. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we, we, you know, it's just a, the normal uh, S&C stuff, the warm-ups that you, that you do. That's it, really, to, for, my, for me, really. Yeah, just the normal. Um, I, I know with myself growing up, it was, okay, go for two laps, some run-throughs. Um, I spoke to you, Taff, and you, you've obviously, you're obviously doing a lot more. You know, you're getting your, your athletes to do some lunges and some strength work, which is awesome. Um, you yeah. know, even something as basic as that is generally missing over here in Sydney um, and right through the world. We don't prioritize that with our athletes, um, especially our junior athletes. You know, uh, we hockey's quite a demanding sport. You know, if you look at the positions and the postures that we have to get into, something like a tomahawk, where it's a really low lunge, you're generally on the run, so you've got to come to a complete stop. So there's all this this force being put back into the joints, into the muscles. Um, we're balancing on almost one leg, so it's all that force going through one quad and one knee and one hip and then we're asking ourselves to bend down really low load up through there and then tomahawk and you know for a lot of junior athletes we're asking them to get into low positions but we're not actually allowing their body to develop before we ask them to get into those positions um and i see this a lot with my my junior coaching is coaches just screaming out bend your knees bend your knees bend your knees bend your knees um and the poor kid they just don't have the quad strength or the core strength so then they're getting into this awkward position trying to bend their knees um and they've just kind of dropped they just kind of push their knees forward and load up through the patella joints um and then they bend their back and in time you know this this poor kid's getting patella tendonitis you know or sore knees um mm. yeah if you think about the teams you've coached and junior athletes what are the what are the common injuries that you guys have come across or the, the recurring wear and tear injuries um, and complaints like you know sore lower backs or knees i'll pass that on to uh, fraser first oh in my team it sore back sore back yep i think everyone in my team at some point within the past two seasons has suffered from back pain so, yeah and it's usually back into the season right like you know you head midway into the season back into the season and that's where you know even the teammates that i play with sore backs yeah, well, yeah. it's usually christmas break onwards when everyone's fitness and strength drops substantially over two weeks, as they do nothing except eat chocolate and turkey and drink. As we, as we all do. As we should be yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's pretty much what you said, uh, Devin. Basically, back pains, uh, knee pains. But um, I, like you like you said, you know, and like we discussed before, uh, I try and do a lot of um, warm-up exercises like lunges and squats and things like that with my uh, junior athletes. And it seems to be okay. We don't get that many injuries. But when, I, when I'm when i coaching the adults, they tend to get uh, a little bit more 
uh, these back pains and uh, you know knee pains and, uh, and things like that, or even a uh, you know hip pains and stuff. So I find it more common in adults than I do in in, in juniors. Yeah, of course, um, it's the same for us. I'm seeing it a lot having been involved with you know the high school programs and junior programs, probably a lot earlier than we'd like to see it. Um, here's like I know with myself, you know the the sore hips, the sore back, you know, it comes with age. You see that in your players who've been playing the game for 20, 30 years. Those type of injuries are now presenting in low in in kids, sore hips, the sore lower backs. Um, it's like we're asking our junior athletes here in Sydney to do so much more. You know, they're on the hockey field maybe three, four times a week, some, some of them seven days a week, three to four games. Um and the injuries are starting to show around the you know the, the 14 to 17 year old age range. Um, that's just because of the wear and tear, and they're breaking down. So we're getting the sore lower back, the sore hips, the patella tendonitis, or the sore knees, shin splints, Achilles tendonitis as well. All those type of, of injuries are presenting themselves far too early, and it's just because unfortunately we've asked our kids to do a lot more, which is why we're getting such amazing hockey at junior levels. You know. You've, I just watched the uh, the pro league stuff, and there's you know in the Australian team there's a, there's a kid called Lockie Sharp who's who's in that team, and he's a he's a young guy, um you know he's phenomenal, and the athletes are getting better and better because they're playing more hockey, they've got more time on the pitch, they're training harder, they're training smarter, but their bodies are just not conditioned to take that type of beating, and you know we're breaking down left, right, and centre, so. We need to, at a young age, you know, if you teach a 12-year-old kid and you develop, you know, their their foot strength, their tendon stiffness in their ankles, so the Achilles tendon, tendons um, stiffness in the in the knees, you develop some quad strength, you develop hip strength, you, so you you know you're going up the chain here, you then develop some actual lower back strength as well as glute and hamstring strength, you're going to set that kid up um, for success just by allowing them to be in the field, being able to train while, you know, most kids around them are getting injured. You know, one of my favorite sayings to all the young kids I, I coach, even the, the adults, is an athlete's best ability is their availability. So if you are not available to train and play on a consistent basis you know, at 100%, you're not then going to develop. You're not going to get that time on the ball, time in the field, and things like that. Um, you know, and that's that kind of helps bring in the strength conditioning side of things because it is relatively new and untouched in um, over here in Sydney. You know, you've got to convince not only the players but parents that you know why are we spending half an hour early on in the season getting them to hold lunges, you know, do mountain, just any basic strength stuff, um, you know, having to sell that to the athlete and then also to the parents. And you deal with things like club presidents who, um, you know, say things like, well, back in my day, we just used to run around and hit a ball and run laps and things like that. So I think having to justify it to the parents and all the uh, – all the players and coaches and board members is is quite a battle. I don't know if you guys have had that issue as coaches over there, um, having to sell it to your athletes, or are they pretty good at just listening to your instructions and not asking why, or there's no kickback? For, for me, no, there's not been uh, much uh, kickback, because usually when they turn up to a training session, they, they obviously look for your guidance. 
And if you say that you've got to do this warm-up, you've got to do this lunge, you've got to do some squats, they might not like it to start off with. But if you explain to them, and I think that's that's the key, isn't it? Explaining to the athletes why you're doing what you're doing. If you're basically just turning around and saying, right, do this, do that, do this lunge, do that, um, yeah. you know, plank hold or whatever, and you don't explain why you're doing it, then they kind of turn around and think, mm, well, I don't think it's helping. But if you explain, I think it's it, they understand and they will do it. They might not like it, but they will do it. Yeah. But like you know, like you were saying in you know these presidents and chairmen are saying, well, in our in our time we don't never used to do it this way or that way, and we just used to turn up and play play hockey or whatever. Um, hockey's changed a lot, even over the five ten years. It's got faster. What fifteen twenty years ago, I don't think it was that quick it was it was quick but it wasn't that quick it's developed a lot and the speed of of hockey has actually got faster and the athletes have got faster if you look at the elite athletes nowadays they are quick they can give yeah, uh, you know Usain Bolt a run for his money up <laughs> so I don't know uh, I think things are changing and I think they're changing for the better especially with strength and conditioning uh, but I think more coaches need to do it more coaches need to be aware of it. So we've got to be a package deal. It's great getting a strength and conditioning coach coming in, but that's an extra cost for the club maybe. Now if they can get one of their coaches to do a course, maybe that might that might help their development of juniors and, and even seniors as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and you're right, like the, the sports now move to four quarters. Um we have unlimited substitutions, so you know this sometimes rubs people the wrong way. But I don't see our sport, me personally, in my opinion, I don't see our sport as an endurance sport. I see it as a power sport because you've got athletes that you can bring on and off, give them a decent amount of rest if needed, um, and then send them back on. And you look at these international games. Um, as I said, just I just watched the pro league yesterday. The every time the cam the camera pans to, towards the um, the dugout area. You see three or four subs there ready to go. So, you know, that means that even though we can't see it on camera, they're, they're rolling through substitutions on a regular basis. And every time the, the Dutch men had a short corner against Australia, they were, the commentators were always saying that their top flicker was actually on the bench, you know, which just shows how much, um, how often he's on and off the field. So, you know, as you said, yet yeah, the sport is faster. Some of our athletes could give Usain Bolt a run for his money across the first five to 10 metres. I believe Usain Bolt's 10-metre acceleration time, and I might be completely off here, whether it's his 5 or his 10-metre acceleration time is 0.83 seconds. And I've tested a lot of athletes using speed gates, and a lot of them are hitting that number, 0.83, 0.84. You know, so our first first step acceleration is, you know, it's it's on par with some of the top sprinters in the world. So keeping in mind that I, in my opinion, I think hockey's going towards... um, being more of a power sport, there are there are basic things that we can do. You don't need to be um, doing a course. You just, I think, need to be open-minded as a coach and understanding that, look, if you're an under-13s coach, you're not just trying to get the best out of your athlete in that one season and then let the, uh, the under-15s coach worry about it. It's more of, okay, what can I do to make sure that my athlete is – progressing through the sport that their bodies aren't holding them back um you know it's what what is my role as a coach you know as a junior coach moving forwards 
you know, say say this athlete is going to go on to then play for their country. Am I setting them up now to give them up that opportunity? Am I preparing their joints? Am I preparing their muscles? Am I preparing their their muscle fascia, which is kind of like you know, if you ever get your coach coach or the physio tells you to to roll out the side of your legs, your ITB, from kind of from your hip down to the side of your knee. That's that's kind of the fascia that you're trying to roll out. Um, that takes a lot of the, the force and produces a lot of the force through the muscles um, as well. Just without getting too technical about what fascia is, there's these type there's these types of things that junior coaches can be doing rather than just thinking about all right, what can I do so the athlete wins for me now? It's what can I do so that the athlete can potentially be winning for our senior teams and for our state and hopefully you know for our our nation. So it it all starts at a young age. Uh, with younger coaches, you know, junior coaches have such a crucial job um, in our sport. You know, they've, they've probably got the most important job in our sport because they're building the bodies, they're building the movements. And I'm not sure with you guys having coached senior teams, but I know with a lot of the senior players um, from 18, even 16 onwards um, that I that I get sometimes with my private coaching, They've just developed such bad habits with their body. One of the the main ones that stands out for me with a lot of my um, my athletes, and you know, they they all seem to like ninety five percent of the athletes that I coach are girls. Is whenever they go to hit the ball, their back leg, so their their right foot just flicks behind them. It just drags behind them, and they have this kind of strange flicking. Behind the leg, I call it like a ballerina flick. That's just because, you know, their, their bodies can't hold themselves in a low lunge position. I don't know, what, what have you guys come across with your coaching? Um, you know, just bad habits that have been brought on through a lack of strength um, and the body's just kind of developed its own way of doing things? Well, um, for me, it's I concentrate a lot about on technique with some of my junior athletes. Uh, yeah, the senior right. ones really... You, you can't well you can actually try and yeah. teach them you know they say they can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks but you really you really can you can actually you know try and see if, and, and adjust their technique and, uh, and whatever um but i think you're right there, there are you know occasions where i might not pick up on it straight away but watching certain players you will find that they are their technique is wrong their balance isn't right or whatever uh, and like you're saying with the ballerina flick, <laughs> sometimes you do get that as well, where they're just dragging their back yeah, foot rather rather, yeah. rather than it being placed and and you know helping their strength of hitting. But I'm not sure about Fraser. What about yourself, Fraser? So probably the most common one that I see, and it's not necessarily just with people I coach, but people putting videos on social media and things like that, is with drag flicking people unable to get into the low position that you need to get into and the various ways that they try and adapt their technique so that they can get power on it It, it's shocking at times yeah that's a that's a great point especially with the drag flick and yeah as you said i couldn't have said it better myself how they try to adapt to get power is yeah and then once you get that athlete who's been say they've been drag flicking like that for a year or two having to um, like, yeah, you can teach, a, as you said, Taff, you can teach a an old dog new tricks, but it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to have them almost rewire how they've been doing it. Yeah, you've got to, you, sorry, sorry to interrupt. You've got to basically relearn the uh, muscle memory. Yep. 
Um, and it does take a lot of time. It, like you're saying, especially if they've been doing it for about a year and then you bring, you get them and, and you see that there's a bit of a problem. It takes about the same amount of hours to get them out of the habit of doing that and treating their muscles to do the right thing again. Yeah. Rather than what they've actually learned. Um, yeah. So over over time, it does take a long time. I mean, when if you're if you're doing it straight from the off and you're teaching them a new skill, well, I'm going to say it's easier, but it's not. It does take time, but it doesn't take as long much time as it would do to relearn it. Yeah. Yeah, skill. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and especially when, um, like, drive this is a great example. If you get a kid who's, or even an adult who's flicking relatively fast, but um, as you say, Fraser, they've adapted their body around how to get power out without actually getting into the right technique. There's always that um, that area where when you start to correct their technique, either their drag flick power just goes way down. Um, or if you try to correct a new, like a hitting technique, there's a lot of air swings. They hit the ground, the power's off, they top the ball. So there's that period there where if you're trying to fix an athlete's technique, the way they, they've been doing it has worked for them. And then they all of a sudden they see themselves not executing as powerfully or as consistently. And then a lot of times I've had athletes just give up and said, no, I don't want to learn this. And when you're, when you're coaching a team, um, it's different in the one-on-one environment, um, but when you're coaching a team, it's all how much, how many hours they said tap it takes to relearn the skill. How many hours do you actually have with that team or with that player? And you can't just be dedicating all your time to trying to fix these little things um, with one player. So you know that's where, as a coach, we've got to prioritize our time. We've got to prioritize learn teaching set plays and lots of other things. You know, it's very very hard to to fix that with an athlete. And that's, uh, that's where that starts with, with young players. You know, we, we have to prepare them to play the sport. We have to prepare their bodies to play the sport as, um, as coaches of young athletes, you know, as even as young as 11 and 12, you know, we've, we've got to teach our kids, um, our kids' bodies, how to get into the correct positions and postures. Uh, Cause it's not their fault. You know, I don't, I don't blame an athlete at all when they've come through, four or five coaches and they have poor drag flicking technique or poor, poor hitting technique. Um, that's just, you know, the coaches never, never taught them that that's not their fault that they're stuck in those bad habits um, or that their bodies can't get into those, those positions to drag flick, tomahawk, um, even s- slap the ball or sweep it. That requires you to get quite low and put a lot of strength through the quads. Um, so, you know, it's, that goes back to, to junior coaches. You know, I think their roles need to change slightly. There needs to be more strength involved in their training. And, yeah, you don't have to be um, a strength conditioning coach to do it. So some of the basic things that we can we can do with our junior athletes, um, even our senior athletes, is, uh, and I'll run through a few things now, I start with mobility. Mobility is making sure the body is moving the way it's supposed to be moving. You know, making sure... The easiest way to test um, mobility with kids or even your senior athletes, um, and I encourage you guys to go back and do this with your players, um, and you'll find a connection between a sore lower back and this next exercise, uh, which is a, a deep squat. So with the deep squat, um, if, or like a, a baby squat, if you get your athletes to sit all the way down in a full squat position, so as low as they can, 
Um, I call it a resting squat, and I get them to stay there for three minutes. So if you're if you get your team at the start of training next time, you get them all to squat in a low position, so all the way down. If you if you're not sure what's supposed to look at look like, you just just Google baby squatting because they've got the most perfect squats in the world. Like it's incredible. Every time I see a baby squat, I'm like, wow. Um, so yeah, get them to sit in that position for three minutes, and you'll actually um you'll start the body will start to show areas of tightness i know for me personally when i sit in that low squat position my my calves start to really burn um and then one of my like my left ankle will start to get sore and then eventually my right hip will start to get sore and that just shows areas of the body where mobility isn't at its best and then from there you can say to that player look if your ankles are really sore i need you to um, take some accountability for that and you know we've got youtube that's got everything on it go and find out how to stretch those ankles out um, if you've got a player who's got really really tight hips that's generally going to connect back to a sore lower back you know if their hips are super tight their their backs you know maybe their glutes are jammed up their backs going to be taking a lot of load um, with all they're doing with their sport and loosening up the hips is going to help loosen up the lower back and reduce the load and the wear and tear on that area. Um, and then it's a matter of, you know, if you know some hip stretches, showing it to them or asking them to jump on a YouTube page and um, check out some stretches. So I generally, with all my teams, the one stretch that I always get them to do is a hip mobility um, stretch. And there's lots of them out there. I've got a few up on my my Instagram and, you know, we'll make some videos um, for the, the Hockey Family YouTube page on there. But, yeah, the hip flexor stretch is the main one. So if you start with that, get them to stretch their hips, get their hips mobile. The next thing that I would move on to is holding a lunge. Um, and you want to have your players holding a lunge for at least a minute, you know, or building, building them up for that. So if you can get all your athletes, um, young, old, new, experienced, to be able to hold the lunge on both legs for a minute, you know, up nice and tall, core switched on, that's going to go a long way to helping decrease um, injuries. So by getting that low in, in, in that lunge position, holding it, what we're doing is one where we're getting some load through the knee so that that patella tendon and where we're getting it to strengthen. So the stronger the tendon, the more force it can produce and the more force it um, it's able to handle we're strengthening the quads and we're getting the quads used to holding our body down in that low position so going back to what fraser said with the drag flicking um getting low in that position requires you to have loose hips so that you can actually drop down into that position and then it requires you to be able to load almost your entire body weight and force that you're producing into the drag flick onto one quad. So if you can't load up that one quad and you can't get that those hips down nice and low, that's where you get people um, trying to adapt to produce more more force um, and not you know not learning the technique properly. So yeah, I would strongly encourage all coaches and even players you know who are listening to this podcast. First things you do is go and see see if you can get into a squat. Um, I know with myself personally, before I got into the strength conditioning side of things, getting past 90 degrees in a squat was impossible for me. 
I could not get my – that's how tight my hips were from about 18, 19 years of playing hockey. I could not drop past 90 degrees, and that was a that was a bit of a journey for me. It took me about three months to be able to sit in that, that low resting squat position for, for two minutes. So, yeah, you'll go a long way towards um, preventing injuries and helping your players – have the uh, the body required to learn these advanced skills just by getting them into that squat position, first of all, having them hold that squat position for at least three minutes and then having them hold that lunge position. So if you can just do those three things, and that doesn't take up much time as a coach. So, you know, if you've only got your team for an hour, um, that prob- that whole thing there takes about five to seven minutes. Um, and once once they've learned it, takes even less time you know you get your kids down there um or your senior athletes and they'll go through the squat they'll go through the hip mobility um and then they'll go through that lunge hold on either side gets them gets the muscles ready to go as well for a training session gets everything fired up gets them a little bit stronger and when they're stronger they can be they can be more powerful with what they do um and you'll see you'll see an improvement in hitting power slapping power you know change in technique change in acceleration too because they've, they've got the quads there so they can get to that that ball a lot quicker or they can accelerate off the line if they're trying to run down short corners and things like that um so yeah those are the three basic things that i would start with um obviously there's a, a lot more that we can do and uh but you know we don't want to overload all your listeners straight away and think have them think that they need to go and become strength and conditioning coaches um i think they just need to have an open mind. And as you said, Taff, the, the sport is changing. We need to change with it. We need to stay ahead of it. We stay ahead of it, you know, our athletes are going to develop faster rather than us trying to, to always deal with a, a problem when it happens. If we can get ahead of it and prevent it from happening, prevent injuries from happening, prevent, as Fraser said, poor adaptation of the technique, going to go a long way towards having our sport improve even more. Now, I still think that we're yet to see the best athletes in the sport. I think they're coming. A lot of our junior players, you know, 17 to 19, I think we'll see the sport get even faster. We'll see faster drag flick speeds, faster foot speeds, faster acceleration times, which will just lead to even more exciting hockey. Um, you know, more powerful goalkeepers, which means their their ability to dive and make saves is incredible. Like I was watching, you know, back to the pro league, the, you know, the, the keepers in that yesterday were just incredible. Their ability to get off the ground, explode, and still make the saves was just phenomenal you wouldn't have seen that 10 15 years ago with the sport yeah uh, you're definitely right goalkeepers these days wow amazing like, like you're saying we, we need to we need to move forward with with the times and uh, help our athletes get better i think that's that's a lot of uh, information um Stephen. and i think if people can go out there and do these exercises like you mentioned and i think i'm going to try this with my lot <laughs> Test the squat and see how they go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they might not like it, but <laughs> send me a we'll video tag, tag, tag me on oh. Instagram on it. I will, I will. <laughs> we'll we'll um, put it out. Squat challenge. Give me the hockey squat challenge. How many players in your squad can hold a resting squat pain free, and and they've got to stand up pain free so they can't get up yeah. all stiff and moaning and groaning. How many players in your squad can sit in a resting squat pain free for three minutes and then stand up? You know, let's yeah, just throw it out we'll there to the hockey family. Get, they can get some videos up, um, send it to us, squat challenge. Okay, yeah, we'll do that, definitely. Well, 
I'm sure we can talk about strength and conditioning and, and, and things like that for the whole of the programme, but we need to go on to other stuff. But I think, you know, obviously you're going to be coming back onto the show again. Uh, we'll yes. talk about other things uh, in the next uh, show as well. So, yeah, but that's some great advice. Fraser, are you going to do any of these these uh, squat challenges and stuff? Absolutely not. I'm in pain just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, being a coach, you don't have to do it. You just get the get the players and the athletes to do it, so you're all right. You don't have to do that one. But I might try it. Yeah, I should try it because I think uh, it's important to try new things. And you know, if we can do it and we can get our athletes better, then that's that's all I'm looking for as well. Anyway, thanks for that, Devon. Uh, we'll have you back for the next podcast, talking all things strength and conditioning again. We'll listen to Devon, and hopefully, you know, you're going to get some good ideas to actually help with your strength and conditioning so moving on what's out there on the hockey vibe then fraser any trending topics that we need to be discussing well obviously we've had one big appointment which is mark hager yes well that's kind of like that's i was quite shocked and surprised pleasantly surprised by mind you okay that mark was appointed england and gb uh, women's head coach not sure what you thought about this is this the first time we've had actually had a foreign head coach of our national team? I believe it is, yeah. I mean, I think we've had um, assistant coaches and whatever from, you know, other yes. nations or whatever, but I don't think we've ever had a foreign head national coach. As far as I'm aware, he's the first foreign head national coach. Yeah, and what a great appointment. I was watching some Twitter and Instagrams and things like that with with players you know congratulating him and basically saying so he's sad to see you go and all that stuff he's done really well for the new zealand hockey team um over the years and hopefully hopefully he'll bring that to us as well uh at uh, england and gb hopefully yes but there's a but he was also at the time of his exit under investigation oh really in new zealand I think I heard a little bit about this, but go on. So I don't have all of the the details. I don't know if the investigation has ended now that he's left the position he was in. I don't know who had made the allegations, but it had got to a point where they were investigating him as the head coach for the atmosphere that he was bringing to the team and for the the player morale around him. So a lot of players really love him. But it seems like he's kind of a uh, a Marmite kind of coach. Yeah. People either really get behind him or really can't get on with him and feel ostracised. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hopefully he's going to come into the GB and England set up mm. and we're going to go from strength to strength. And we'll never have to, to look back on this and go, oh, well, there were warning signs when he was first coming in. I heard that it was actually just one detailed complaint from someone. See, I'm I've not, heard... I'm not... Oh, different things oh, right, I've, okay. I've heard that there was several complaints i've heard that there was one complaint okay i've heard that there was lots of little complaints and i've yeah. also heard that there was one complaint by one very big name player now i don't know if any of these are true i don't know if all of these are true yeah. but all i can say is that there was an investigation going on at the time he left the position but if it was that serious would england hockey have appointed him as their head coach personally i don't think it might have been that serious it might have been just someone complaining about it or or whatever i like i said i heard it was just one made you know big complaint or whatever 
and they were just looking into it. But if you look at social media uh, and stuff, people, ex-players and, and current players have basically just went, oh my God, it's so sad to see you go sort of thing. There's not been any bad comments against him on social media at all. And usually, you know, people do air their views don't, as they see it on social media most of the time. I've met Mark a few times and he's a really nice guy. Everyone that's met him has said exactly the same thing. So I don't know how, how true these complaints are. No, or, as I say, or how I don't, serious. I don't, I don't know how serious. serious it was. I don't know how far the investigation got. I'm, I'm pretty sure but, it's not that serious. As I say, I, I, I'm hoping that he goes from strength to strength. Yeah. Leads England to another Olympic gold. Yeah. Or GB because the Olympics were Great Britain. He, uh, wins the Pro League, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's, he's quite capable. He's quite capable of doing that. Uh, absolutely. He's done he's a, amazing things with New yeah. Zealand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Congratulations on the appointment, Mark, if you're listening. And uh, sorry we brought up the complaints. Have we got any other stuff? Has there been any uh, retirements that we've heard of? There probably is. I can't, I can't, I can't remember any, seeing anything about any players retiring. Oh, there was there was an Australian player that retired recently. I can't remember. Oh, if you know, guys, if you know who it was out there, please let me know. Yeah, (laughs) I should do more research, shouldn't I? Okay, and finally, do we have anything else, Fraser? So obviously, we want to say get over to the the hockey family website. There is going to be more reviews going up. There is going to be competitions going up this month. At least one, possibly more. Cool. Can I enter, or am I banned? You're banned. Oh, no hockey family staff. Oh no, you it's can't open to say anyone that. else. Oh, all right, I'm going to get my daughter to enter it anyway. So, so more reviews, more competitions going on. Um, I've still got to uh, sort of like say that the club socks deal is still going, guys. It's still going strong. It's going to go on for the whole of this year. If you go on to club socks, they are giving you a discount. Uh, if you message them or put in THF10 and it will give you a discount on anything that you order from Club Socks. So get over there and order something because they're great. I love the Club Socks. I, I wear them all the time, you know. Oh, no, they're great. I've got a load of them with uh, my logo and boss on the back. Yeah, I saw them. Very snazzy. I know. Should we get some uh, THF stuff made? Do. Is that it? Is that everything? I believe so, yeah. Wow. Okay, right. So... All I've got to say is, this is a very short podcast. I mean, yeah, we've only been recording for like two hours. Yeah, shorter than last time. So, you know, that's good. I like that. <laughs> um, but uh, I've got to say thanks, special thanks to Steven for coming on and talking about his strength and conditioning stuff. And then we'll get him back on the podcast, doing a, a more of a co-host kind of role uh, with me and Fraser. And we'll also hopefully get back Melina for the next podcast. Uh, to give her views on on everything Argentinian hockey and a little bit of everything else as well. <laughs> and thank you to Fraser for joining me once again. It's uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, oh, always nice to speak to you about hockey, Taff. I know, but I keep going on. I, th- I need to. I need to calm down. I need to stop talking, uh, but I can't help it. I don't get to talk a lot, you see, of hockey stuff with my missus. Okay, thank you anyway. <laughs> anyway, guys, for listening to this podcast, and hopefully catch you on the next one. We're going to hopefully try and release the podcast the first Friday of every month. So 
this one is going to come out a little bit later than uh, than that. Uh, but the next episode of the Talk Hockey Radio and any future episodes will be coming out on the first Friday of every month. So watch out for that and do give it a listen. This episode of Talk Hockey Radio was sponsored by Decathlon UK. You can find them on www.decathlon.co.uk.